Hello and welcome to The Haunted. I'm Freddie Young and it's just me. Um, Vanessa is not with us today. She's not joining us for the first uh, episode of a bumper week that we are doing. Um, so we are going to be kind of looking at some of Hollywood's most successful horror films based on true stories and we want to kind of delve in and look at the real story behind it because we know Hollywood is guilty of a little bit of Hollywood magic and uh, they like to add a little bit of a uh, little bit of spice to uh, to what they're putting out there and what you're seeing so we're going to kick off this week uh, we're doing three episodes this week, so I'd love for you to be able to guess. So the first episode, which no one has actually guessed, um, is we are going to be looking into the story of Haunting in Connecticut. Now, I personally think it's a fantastic uh, horror movie. I know Vanessa feels the same. We both have, have mentioned it before that we've really enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I kind of looked into uh, some of you know what it's actually based on it's actually really quite interesting so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna give you so spoiler alert if you've not seen the movie i would recommend pausing this go and watch the movie and come back so you can get the the true effect because what i'm gonna do and what i'll do for each movie is i'll give you a overview of the plot a synopsis kind of thing uh, so for those of you that have seen it or maybe haven't seen it in a while, it's a, a little bit of a reminder, a bit of a refresher. So you know what's going on, you know what's happening, so you can stick with me and um, we can do that. So let's start at the beginning of the movie. Now, try and picture it in your head because I've got the scenes playing in my head as I'm reading this out to you. So we are going way back to 1987. And a lady called Sarah Campbell, well, it's probably Sarah because it's American, isn't it? Is driving her son, Matt, home from hospital where he's been undergoing cancer treatments. Uh, Sarah and her husband, Peter, who is a recovering alcoholic, discuss finding a rental home closer to the hospital. On another hospital visit, a little bit, a couple of days afterwards, she finds uh, a man putting a for, a for rent sign in front of a very large house. The man is frustrated and offers her the first month free if she rents it immediately. So the following day, Peter, who's the dad, arrives with Matt's brother, who is the boy having the um, the treatments, arrives with his brother, Billy, and his cousin, Wendy and Mary. And they all choose their rooms. But the um, Matt, who's obviously the, the ill one, chooses to stay in the basement and... It's kind of split into sections and there's a mysterious door that leads into nothing. You can't really see anything. So after moving in, Matt starts to suffer from a series of visions that involve like an old bearded man and corpses. And they have these like symbols carved into their skin. The next day, Peter learns that the house was supposedly a funeral home. And the room behind the kind of the door is a mortuary. So Matt tells the reverend um, about his visions and they advise him to find out what the spirit wants. So later, 
Matt finds a burned figure in his room who begins to move to, towards him. And when the family comes home, they find him shirtless and he's covered in blood and he's been scratching at the walls. So the family begins to, to fall apart and start to crack under the stress of Matt's illness and his kind of bizarre behaviour. And the children find a box of photographs uh, which show one of the young men in, in Matt's visions. And then there's a seance and there's exoplasm coming out of his mouth. Uh, Wendy and Matt find out that the funeral home was run by a man named Ramsey... God, forgive me for my for my pronunciation, but it's Ackman, Aikman, and that that man had also done some psychic research and would host seances in the home with the the Jonah, the young man in the photographs, being the medium. So at one of the seances, all those attending, including Aikman, were found dead, and Jonah had disappeared. Now we 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 fly back. And we go back to the priest and he theorises that Aikman was practising necromancy in an attempt to control the dead and bind them to the house. So that night, Nicholas, um, the, the, the priest, finds human remains in the house and removes them. So Matt awakens and finds Aikman's symbols carved into his own skin. He is taken to hospital where he encounters the young medium, Jonah, from before. Nicholas and Matt begin to have... Um, the same visions and everyone is kind of burnt during a, a seance kind of thing um and they're concerned that there is a demonic presence that is going to kind of get to them and it kind of it all intensifies and there's you know a lot of coming and going and there's um, Jonah tries to es escape through like a dumbwaiter kind of thing. And he's calling for help, but it's he gets cremated, unfortunately. And then we go back to mum and dad and, and they learn that the treatments that um, Matt is having are, are having no effect. And they find out that Matt has actually left the hospital that he should have been staying in. Now, back at the house, the uh, Nicholas man leaves a message telling the family to get out of the house immediately and that Jonah's spirit was actually protecting them from the, the kind of evil in the house. So Matt breaks through the walls in the front room, front room with an axe and it reveals, you know, all of these bodies lining the walls and they all kind of start tumbling into the room and you kind of the view switches and it changes and, and it, it you know it, they make it appear that Jonah is occupying Matt's body and Matt or Jonah whoever you want to pick lights the bodies on in the room on fire and, you know, later people arrive to find that the house is completely engulfed in flames. And as the fire department arrives, mum and dad are frantically trying to get, you know, get in a safe map. But the spirits are finally freed and they disappear. And everyone's stood outside and they watch as the um, emergency crew, you know, the, the ambulances, the firemen try to resuscitate, um, 
young Matt who's who is dying. He does slip away and he has a vision of himself standing in a graveyard where he sees Jonah, who is this, you know, young medium who has been protecting them. His spirit has been protecting them and he no longer appears burnt. And he he um, goes to follow him, but then he hears his mum's voice and he returns to his body and, you know, it transpires that his cancer has disappeared and then the house is rebuilt and resold and then there's no further reports of the haunting. Now, that is a very brief overview of what the film is a, is kind of about. You know, it's, it's a lot more in depth than what I give you. And uh, maybe I have not given you the best explanation of what happens in the film. But that is a very brief overview. It's I would say it's still definitely worth a watch. And yeah, you know, if when you guys do watch it, please let us know. Or if you have already watched it, let us know what your opinions are on the film. You know, like I said, we are a big, we're big fans of it. Maybe that's going a bit too far. We enjoyed it. Is it? We enjoyed it, and I would watch it again. So that's that. So let's have a little look and take a bit of a dive now into the real story uh, behind what inspired the haunting in Connecticut. So, we're going back to 1986, and we are starting with a man and a lady called Carmen and Al Snedeker. Now, Carmen and Al will, they represent Sarah and Peter, because they're the, the mum and, and the dad. So, they moved to a small town called Southington in Connecticut. Um, and and they did, they moved there with the purpose of being closer to the hospital because their eldest son was being treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is, you know, you know, a terrible illness and would require a lot of treatment. So they, they tried to move closer. So they had uh, fallen on for hard financial times. You know, the illness did take its toll um, as the family. So the family jumped at the chance to rent what appeared to be the perfect house it was it's it was a big house and you know the family there was three children and they had taken in uh, the cousins so their niece and nephew as well like i said the rent was really affordable and they they jumped at the chance so as they were moving in al who is is the dad made a, a startling discovery we will say and that in the basement there is a, a peculiar room that was complete with embalming tables and tools. And it turned out that the house genuinely used to be a funeral home. Um, also as well, like they show in the film, the basement is sectioned into uh, several rooms. Um, maybe not like they do in, in the film, but, you know, it, it is sectioned off. And part of that, there is um, embalming tables and embalming equipment and stuff. So they do you portray that quite well in the movie. So not long after they moved in, Carmen, who is mum, starts to experience strange things. So items disappearing. The children as well uh, were reporting seeing strange people around the house. They were hearing voices. And interestingly, and I, you know, this is quite interesting, kind of strange thing to, to say, but the sounds of what they felt like was like hundreds of birds all taking off at the same time, which I can imagine is quite a, a strange thing to hear. Um, so 
obviously the eldest, he was in the middle of uh, radiotherapy. And during this time, his personality really began to shift. He was, you know, a reasonably happy child for, you know, considering what he was going through, he was fairly upbeat and, you know, tried his best to 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 get through is the jet is the general kind of thing that I've got when researching this. But he began to become really withdrawn, really angry. And he began to write poetry. And these had necrophilic themes. Um, I'm hoping everyone listening here knows or understands what necrophilia is. Uh, I'm not going to explain it to you if you don't. I don't want to say Google it, but educate yourself by dictionary. And he would have these episodes of lashing out and just being generally quite intense. So during one of these episodes that were, you know, quite intense in nature, he attacked his cousin and... They say that it was with the intent to to rape her. I don't know how true this is, um, but this is kind of reports from from the family. So, you know, you have to take their kind of word for it at this point. So the family concerned uh, about what was going on had called the police. He was arrested and he was taken in for evaluation in a facility, a kind of mental health facility. And they diagnosed him at that time as um, a schizophrenic and he was removed from the home and held in this facility for you know the safety of everybody involved and until they kind of deemed him to be um for want of a better word better but until he could get his condition under control and and you know that they could help him as best they could so there was some quite serious um, phenomena that happened in the house, and the Snedekers reported that um, that Carmen, the mum, and the niece were brutally and repeatedly raped by um, a spirit, an unknown, unseen entity, incubus, if if you will. Um, they also reported acts of sodomy being reported on Al, which is which is dad, and these again were all by unseen, unknown entities. And um, you know, I, I suppose for us in in this community, we would consider that to be um, an incubus. Um, they also reported that there the mop water. Uh, turned blood red and that the sense of rotting flesh and decay would often be reported throughout the house. There was also sightings of apparitions, a variety of apparitions. There was one that had long black hair, black eyes and, you know, again, polar opposite, one with like really white hair and, and white eyes uh, wearing a kind of gangster gangster tuxedo you know like that pinstripe tuxedo um during all of this time or i say during all this time that you know it's over the course of maybe a couple of years that this happens but i think as it kind of neared the end and, and the activity intensified 
Carmen contacted some of our favourite paranormal investigators and um, two people have inspired probably most of the horror films we've seen uh, released in the last five years, maybe. It's Ed and the Rain Warren. And they, along with a few other investigators, moved into the house and they was there for several weeks. And they remained there until they experienced everything that the Snedeker family had claimed. Um, during the Warrens' time in the house, they claimed to have seen firsthand the damage the demons in the home could inflict. And that included a lot of the members in the household being slapped, beaten, pushed, slammed to the floor, bitten, scratched. You know, these people were being or they claim to be attacked um, with quite a lot of intensity throughout their time of being in the home. The investigation also into the house historically revealed that one of the undertakers that was employed at the funeral home was found guilty at one point of necrophilia which kind of it all kind of goes hand in hand with you know, some of the things that are going on in the and how some of them were feeling and how they were presenting. So, obviously, you know, the Warrens are there for a few weeks and it gets to the point where they think, you know, hang on a minute, this isn't okay. We need to do something. And they deemed it necessary to perform a an exorcism. On, on, on the property and they claimed afterwards and you know they decided it, we've done our job everything is cleared all the evil's been banished and that was that and that is where the Snedeker's family story kind of stops in terms of what they claim to to be the haunting so we there's a bit of controversy about this story and i'm going to go into a little bit more detail um with that with you so obviously the family claim that they had no knowledge that the house was a funeral parlor before they rented the property now the person who rented it to them the homeowner says that is absolutely not the case there was full disclosure they knew 100 percent what they was going into they knew that there was still stuff that they knew that um well this is what's claimed by by the homeowner um who rented it um but there, there's a real damning piece of evidence that kind of puts the whole story into dispute and it comes from a man named Ray Garton and he is a, you know a fairly prominent horror 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 <laughs> horror novelist and he was contacted to write the book in a dark place which is the Snedeker's family story of what happened um and it was it had um input from the warrens from the family but 
and this is this is all documented in interviews and in articles and stuff uh ray garton said it was really difficult to write the true story because none of the the involved parties could keep their stories straight so you know the mum had a different story dad had a different story the niece had a different they all kind of they didn't mesh together and so it it made it very hard for him to to write a true account of what really happened because everyone was just contradicting themselves so he then obviously went to ed warren and said look you know i'm really struggling to do this what what do you want me to do um and supposedly so garton says um because he has has written this down that ed warren told him not to worry and th and this is a direct quote told me not to worry that the family was crazy i was shocked he said all the people who come to us are crazy you think sane people would come to us i knew i'd written a lot of horror novels prior to that so he told me to just make the story up using whatever details I could incorporate into the book and make it scary. Now, unfortunately, you know, Ed is no longer with us. So he he's not around to kind of defend himself. And ultimately what you have here is one person's story against another. But, you know is quite compelling um you know he's the man that wrote the the true story and he had a hard time writing the true story and this is kind of what he comes back with so how much of the story is fact how much of the story is fiction we don't know we don't know and i don't think we ever will but it makes a fantastic story i'll be honest um, I have some more quotes uh, from from Ray, uh, because obviously in 2009, the movie came out and, you know, the book was released quite a, quite a few years before that. Um, and he was quoted in Horrorbound magazine by saying that I suspect that the movie will begin with the words based on a true story but he said be warned just about anything but begins with any variation of this phrase is trying a little too hard to convince you of something that probably isn't true and i think potentially in this case that is that is that is fact but we we don't know and we never will i think unfortunately i think a lot of true stories well, as as Vanessa would say, and as and I agree with her, the truth is far scarier than whatever Hollywood could imagine and make up and 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 fantasize about. And I think a lot of true stories are picked apart a little bit and and put back together in into the view of what they feel the audience wants to see, or is then put into that kind of classic horror movie formula. But that just doesn't work all the time. Um, I think, you know, in this case, it has worked. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great film. Might not necessarily be true, but, you know, certainly there is a family out there that claim it claim it is. But I think um, Hollywood should focus maybe more on the genuine true events. And um, because fact is far scarier than fiction. Now as well, I've I've got a few other kind of quotes and interesting facts.
tracks for you. So um, Lorraine Warren has commented on the movie and she, and this again is a, is a direct quote and it's from myrecordjournal.com and she, you know, quote unquote, I was told about the scratching on the walls, the blood, the seances, and this isn't the type of things that were occurring within the house at all. And she put it simply by just saying the movie is very, very loosely based on the actual investigation. So I, it's hard, guys, and you know, and I, I suppose it's up to you to to make your own decisions. And I think maybe if you find that middle ground of, you know, the movie is going to 100% be a bit fantastical and add things that aren't necessarily true. So um, I know that, you know, during in the film, they, they have these like intricate carvings all over these bodies and apparitions. That's not true at all. That that didn't happen. Um, you know, were there bodies in the wall? No, you know, there's all these elements that make a fantastic film, but just take just take away from the story, I think. Um, so, yeah, guys, it's you know, it's it's down to you, I suppose, to, to make your decision on what you think. Happened. And I think I think you're always safe to go for a middle ground. And I think, you know, if you go with half a. Maybe not everything Hollywood said was true, and maybe not everything the family said was true. And, you know, even writing a book, things are sensationalised. You know, a writer, he, unless that person writes it themselves, that he's not getting all of the the hundred percent of the story. And he's going to try maybe add a few bits to make it flow better, or sound better, or you know, add bits that are amazing. You know. You got to you got to sell books. You got to sell movies. You need to add these elements, I suppose. Um, but there you go. Now, the the house that this is based on is still standing. It is owned by a lady called Susan Trotter Smith, and she has said that the house is not haunted. They have lived in it for over ten years. She claims that the house is wonderful and you know it's a great family home and nothing's happened so is it a case of the warrens did their job and cast out all the evil inside the home or is it the case of the house was never haunted and it's a fantastic story manufactured we will never know but that is your true snippet your true story of what the haunting in connecticut is based on and uh, now if you did want to go and read the book because it's based on the book and it's called in in a dark place i'm just going to google it quick um and just make sure that what i'm telling you is 100 percent fact yes yeah in a dark place and you know i've not read it myself personally um but if you want to you're you're welcome to sorry something on my shoulder so that was that guys this is episode one of your bumper week of hollywood 
fantastical horror stories. We will be back. I'm not going to tell you what we'll be back with, but, you know, they're all well-known stories. And if you're a fan of the paranormal and horror, you would 100% have seen these movies. And I suppose it's, it's, it's quite good and quite interesting to get a bit of an insight. You know, pers personally for me, researching this was definitely interesting. Um, we, we will end it with maybe one of the biggest, most successful horror movies. Um, so that's going to be a really good episode. And hopefully, you know, Sergeant Major, our historian, will be able to chime in and give us a little bit of info, a little bit of background. And uh, yeah, you know, keep an eye out, guys. Stay tuned. As always, please keep uh, keep up with our social media. Please follow that. So we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. So the Instagram is The Haunted Podcast Official. The Twitter is The Haunted Pcast. And you can find us on Facebook by typing in The Haunted Podcast Official. I will tag them all in the episode description as well. So if you can't find it or you forget, you know, just, just refer back to that. Uh, we also do have an email address where you can contact us directly. And that is the haunted podcast official at gmail.com. Again, I'll put that in the episode description. Um, I did set up a, a TikTok and it's reasonably successful, guys. I find kind of like clips online, clips that I stumble across of interesting paranormal activity. I post them on there. Um, there's mixed reviews. Some people are like, oh my God, it's so fake. And, um, you know, I listen to everyone's opinion. I'm I'm not uh, unbiased. Uh, some of them, you do look back and think, hmm, it's a bit fishy. But still, again, it's enjoyable. You can follow us there at The Haunted Podcast. I hope you guys have a good good day or two because I'll be back very very soon and I will be back with Vanessa next time so um, I hope you have a lovely rest of your week a nice couple of days and we'll be back very soon be good be safe be honest bye guys <laughs>